Well, good morning to you all. It's always a privilege to preach God's Word, and as Bev has said, today is a message of two halves. First part will be an introductory message on the person of the Holy Spirit. And then the second part will move into a more practical application of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine the man standing in front of you is an angelic nine-year-old boy. Fairly easy, I would think. He's dressed in a red cassock, a white surplice. His hair has been beautifully parted, laid with brill cream. He's a member of the church choir in Nottingham, used to singing hymns and psalms and canticles. I had no real problem in believing in God the Father, God the Son. I didn't really know what to make of the Holy Spirit. It was often referred to as the Holy Ghost. I felt very uneasy. He was a bit like the bogeyman under the stairs, a bit spooky, a bit frightening. There's been a lot of misunderstanding about the Spirit down through the ages, but the Bible makes it absolutely clear that the Holy Spirit is God and has all the attributes of God. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as another counselor. We've heard already in the series that the, the word another means not a different counselor, but one of the same, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to encourage, to comfort, and to help. Holy Spirit isn't a ghost or a spiritual force, but a person. He demonstrates many of the characteristics of a person. He speaks. He thinks. He can be grieved. Now, folks, you cannot grieve a force. The Holy Spirit is a person referred to as he in the Scriptures. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit convicting people of sin, convincing them of the need for a saviour. Holy Spirit guides, we'll be looking at this in a little more detail in the second part of the message. The Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit empowers followers of Jesus. But I want us in this first part of the message to travel back to the beginning. The Creator Spirit brings order out of chaos. Genesis 1 verse 2, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over, the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here's a picture of shapelessness and of emptiness. The Holy Spirit brings shape to a shapeless earth and fills the void that exists with the beauty of God's creation. So folks, the Holy Spirit wants to bring shape into our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to fill the void with his presence. And that same Holy Spirit, there right at the beginning, is available today to bring order and peace into chaotic lives. 
Secondly, the created spirit gives life to man. Genesis 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We've already heard in the series that the Hebrew word for breath or wind is ruach. Also the words used for the spirit in the Old Testament. Here's God forming a body from dust, then breathing physical life into that body which becomes alive. You find that difficult to believe? Well, just for a moment, think about a human body that decomposes. Eventually, it will end up as dust, a bunch of chemicals. And here's God, through the Holy Spirit, just reversing the process. Let's look for a moment at people's experiences of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon a person and briefly empowered various individuals. First of all, there's Bezalel. Bezalel was an artisan. And God says, I've chosen Bezalel. I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. He was involved in the building of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. Then there's Gideon. The Holy Spirit clothed Gideon for leadership. Then there's Samson. The Holy Spirit comes upon Samson for, for strength. But many others we could cite, including Moses and David, but as we move towards the end of the Old Testament, we see that God the Father promises the Holy Spirit. Joel 2, verse 28. And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. That's me. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Joel foretells a day, a day is coming when the Holy Spirit will not be limited to particular people for particular tasks, but he will be available to every servant of God, regardless of age, gender, or background. We're coming up to Christmas, and around the coming of Jesus, there is a great activity of the Holy Spirit, still on a few particular people, People like Mary, people like Elizabeth, people like Zechariah and Simeon. When it comes to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the man who is God and the God who is man. Not just an ordinary man, but a man filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus receives power through the Holy Spirit at his baptism. His baptism was the start of his public ministry. And we read in Luke 3.22, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then we read in Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into 
the wilderness. I'm going to leave the message there and pick up on that in a few moments' time after the act of celebration. Or should I say remembrance? Peter. I have a little more time than I realized this morning, but I'm thankful for that. Throughout the Great War, St. Mary's Baptist Church had over 300 men on active service. The War Memorial within our building identifies 49 men who died in World War I, with four in World War II. And whilst unknown to us, they were men known and loved within family and friendship circles. They worked and worshipped in this community. Let me introduce you to two of them. The first is Bertie Charles Batson. Born in New Catton in 1894, the family were living in Sproston Road. The only records that we've so far uncovered show that he was still at school at age 16 and was a pupil at the City of Norwich School, which had only just been founded the year before in 1910. And the picture here shows the formidable teaching staff of that time. And some of these also were to join their pupils in fighting and dying for their country in the World War. The Guildencroft Baptist Mission was in Oak Street, just across uh, the river there, uh, just by the River Wensum and across from the city station and had been planted by St. Mary's Baptist Church. And this is where Bertie served as a Sunday school teacher and also was in the choir. And so did one Susanna Waller, who was at that time working as a tailoring machinist and living in a hostel for 30 young women in 70 Pitt Street. And the church magazine reported the wedding of the couple on Boxing Day, 1915, when they were thanked for their services to the church and were presented with a marble clock. By this time, Bertie had already enlisted for military service and was likely on leave before going to the front because Susanna remained living at that hostel for single women, and the couple never saw their first wedding anniversary. Bertie's leadership potential was recognized, and he became a lance corporal. But his military service coincided with some of the worst conditions of the war, 
and the battles of the Somme. Heavy autumn rains had reduced the land to a quagmire, and those told to charge on enemy lines were greatly hampered, and great numbers of men were killed. Over 1,100,000 were killed at the Battle of the Somme, and Bertie died in the battle for the Transloy Ridges in these conditions. And his name is inscribed on the walls of the memorial at Thiep Val, which should be coming up now, I think. There we are. The second is Robert Samuel Plumley, who was also born in the same year, 1894. While still a child, the family had moved to Norwich from Cromer and lived by St. Swithin's Church, which is just off St. Benedict's. In 1911, Robert was employed at the Gerald's Printing Works. And it was here that he met Arthur Lake, who was the superintendent of St. Mary's Sunday School. Arthur must have seen potential in Robert, for in 1913, the young man joined St. Mary's, and the older man trained him to serve in the Sunday school, which he did until he was called up for military service. He joined the Essex Regiment, which was destined to be sent to the Eastern Mediterranean. The hired military transport vehicle, the Royal Edward, left Avonmouth at the end of July 1915 with 1,367 soldiers, 220 crew. It was on its final stages of its journey when it was torpedoed in the stern. The soldiers had just completed a boat drill and most men were stowing their equipment below decks. Within six minutes, the ship had sunk. A hospital ship, the Sudan, had recently passed them going in the opposite direction, and the enemy had allowed the hospital ship to pass and then took the Royal Edward as its target. Remarkably, a number of photographs of the rescue have survived. They show men desperately clinging to lifeboats awaiting help. However, 864 men died that day, and Robert was among them. And his name is inscribed upon the Heller's Memorial in Turkey. Only two of those from this church who gave their lives at the time of the Great War. This is a time to reflect as we come to the two-minute silence. We're slightly ahead of time, but let's just prepare now for what will occupy our thoughts during that time. Perhaps some of you have members of your family that served at this time. 
You may have researched your family records and have found out about them. Of course, war has never ceased. Humankind has always fought over issues, some of them large, some small, but all of us, perhaps our lives, have been touched by others who, since these days, have also been involved in the horrors of war. And we hear about these things every day. So perhaps you want to focus on what is happening at this time, the theatres of war <clears throat> around the world, where there remains to be conflict. So, however you're going to spend the two minutes, will you now stand and join with me and with others in our nation today? And then we will have a further time of prayer. Thank you. <clears throat> Will you please be seated? And we'll continue in a spirit of prayer. Oh God, our Father, it must sadden you to look down upon this world that you created and you first saw that everything was good, to see what man in all his sinfulness has brought about, what chaos what conflict. We commit to you all who grieve today, those whose lives have been affected by war, 
those suffering from post-traumatic stress, who have images in their heads that they cannot erase. They cannot unsee what they have seen. And yet we expect of these to continue life as if they had not witnessed what they have. Give us sympathy of heart. We pray that you would also aid the efforts of those who seek to help. We pray for those who've never got over the loss of someone they loved, taken from them so suddenly. We pray for those even today who, for whatever reason, are engaged in military battle. Father, we pray that the voices of peace may be heard more than the voices that call for war and conflict. Sadly, we know that until the Prince of Peace is revealed in all his majestic glory, there will be no peace upon the earth, though our hearts long for it, yearn for it. And so we look forward to the time when he shall come and establish his rule and his reign in peace forever. Father God, in this time we also just lift to you those who are dear to us, those who are near to us, those whom we fear are caught up in issues of health, family conflict, unemployment, and all the issues of life today. And in just a few moments, we want to lift to you those who are on our hearts. Hear us, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're continuing the message as we look at God, the Holy Spirit, and in particular we'll be focusing on the theme of guidance. We finished earlier by saying that uh, Jesus was the God who is man, the man who is God. He was a spirit-filled man. And we see how the Holy Spirit guides Jesus. In Luke 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I find that very, very interesting. Here's Jesus, full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit to 
the wilderness where for 40 days he would be tempted. And it reminded me that perhaps sometimes the Holy Spirit does lead us into challenging situations. Not to destroy us, but to build our faith. To help us become stronger. To help us become more mature. Then we see how the Holy Spirit guides the church. In Acts 13.2, this is at Syrian Antioch, and we read that while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. At that time, there were prophets, there were teachers, and they were obviously worshipping together and fasting. The Holy Spirit says, I want you to set apart these two men. I have a mission for them. You might think, I wonder, does that happen today? Well, my mind goes back a few years to when I was pastoring a church in Chingford. As elders, we were meeting on a Saturday morning to think and pray about the future vision of the church. We were waiting on God, anxious to listen to what the Spirit wanted to say. And as we waited it became evident that the Spirit was saying, I want you to set apart this man into full-time pastoral community uh, as a full-time community pastoral worker. Uh, My friend still remains my friend, Peter. We were of one accord, one mind. The Holy Spirit had spoken, not in an audible voice. We all recognized and sensed that Peter was to be set apart for this work, and he did a fantastic job. So the Holy Spirit guides Jesus, the Holy Spirit guides the church, and the Holy Spirit guides us as individuals. I like the story about the man who arrived at the vicarage to be met by the vicar's teenage son. I'm sorry my father's busy at the moment. He's just had a phone call offering him to be a church leader at a large church in Bermuda. But he's only been here for 18 months, the man said. I know, but you get a new car, a new house, and a massive hike in salary. Well, what's he going to do? I don't know, he's in the study praying. And what about your mother? Oh, she's upstairs packing. (laughs) Two responses to an opportunity. We live in a complicated world. So many options available. So many choices, decisions to make. My wife says, if you go into the shop, can you get a loaf of bread? We spend the next five minutes discussing what sort of bread we want. So many choices, so many options, so many decisions to make. The Christian has a guide on duty 24-7, 365 days a year. Someone giving the best advice and directions that are possible. A guide who's been leading people for thousands and thousands of years. Remember how he led the Israelites? By day, a cloud. By night, a pillar of fire. 
And he's promised to guide those who belong to him. In Psalm 32, verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Of course, the choices we make have varying levels of importance. Some are trivial. Some are decisive, may have a major impact on our lives. Maybe decisions people here are facing today maybe to do with home or church life, with parents or uh, grandparents, with children, maybe work, college, university. Maybe there's someone here this morning who is thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus. I don't know what choices that are facing you, but God does. And I want to put up a five-point plan on how to make the best decisions in life based on the five letters of the word guide. It may seem clinical to some. It may seem, I don't know, contrived to others. But my prayer is it'll be a help to some people here today. First of all, we need to go to the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If God knows us intimately, better than we know ourselves, if God has a plan and purpose for our lives, then surely he must be the first Paul of call in our decision-making process. What does it mean to trust God? To realize that he knows what is best for us and will show us his way in his time. And trust isn't about working it all out and asking for God's rubber stamp. If you're facing a major decision, can I encourage you to spend time waiting patiently on God, putting aside all distractions and listening to the voice of the Spirit. If you're keen to know what God wants, he's even keener to let you know the way forward. Go to the Lord. Understand biblical principles. Christmas is coming. Uh The old Monopoly board may make an appearance. Sometimes there are disagreements about how the game should be played. I found out that there are nine ways you can play the game to make it faster. When there are disagreements, the final authority is the rule book because it's written by the inventor of the game. And life is obviously not a game, it's more complex. But God has spelled out how we to play the game if we grasp his heart and know his mind. In life, the rule book's the Bible. It contains all we need to know about right thinking and right living. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. For teaching, showing us what is true. For rebuking, pointing out where we go wrong. Correcting, bringing us back on the straight and narrow. Bringing us back on track, straightening us out, and then training in righteousness helping us to think and to live right. So where does the Holy Spirit fit into the authorship of Scriptures? 
Well, we read in 2 Peter 1, prophecy never came simply because a prophet wanted it to. Instead, the Holy Spirit guided the prophets as they spoke. And we need to understand how the principles of Scripture can apply to all situations in life. First of all, the black and white issues. These are so clear. Here's a few of them. Worship God, not idols. Honor your parents. Don't covet. Forgive others. Love God and love your neighbor. Then we come to the principles which Scripture espouses, but sometimes we have to dig a little deeper. Don't try to get rich quick. Don't follow the crowd. Don't submit yourself to peer group pressure. Just because somebody's going that way doesn't mean you are to go that way. Treat your body as God's temple. Use your tongue to build others up, not to tear them down. Seek the good. Seek the welfare of others. Work for God, not just your boss. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Serving the Lord, not just men. Go to the Lord. Understand biblical principles. Investigate your options. Just imagine Sunday afternoon, you're going for a peaceful walk in the country. You find yourself going along the path in a field when you look up and see a black and white ball which weighs about a ton. You've got several options. You can ignore it and find a new exit. You can walk towards it and try and kill it with your bare hands. You can try and befriend it, or you can beat a hasty uh, retreat. Some options are not too wise. But knowing your options is important for making all kinds of decisions. God has given us a mind as well as the Holy Spirit to enable us to make good decisions. We perhaps need to ask some questions as we investigate our options. What are the consequences of each option? How will it pan out, do we think? Does my decision go against the teaching of the Bible? If it, if it does, then forget that decision. Which option will have the better impact on my spiritual life? And if you're like me, you'd want to write down the options. Go to the Lord, understand biblical principles, investigate your options, then discuss with others. Proverbs 12:15. The way of a fool seems right to him or her, but a wise person listens to advice. Other people can often be more objective in their evaluation of a situation. They can point out errors in our judgment and add valuable insights. So who should I listen to? Seek out people you respect as people in touch with God, people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who know how to apply the Lord's wisdom and biblical principles to a situation. But do not, do not let other people make decisions for you. Because if it all goes pear-shaped, who are you going to blame? Not yourself, you blame that other person. Uh, Recently, somebody shared with me an opportunity 
Um, and they'd already, they were 95% of the way there. And as they shared the opportunity, I just said, well, that sounds like wise, a wise decision to me. And that person just thanked me for saying that and was encouraged that he was making the right decision. Go to the Lord, understand biblical principles, investigate your options, discuss with others, and finally, express your freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Amen. It is for freedom that Christ has sent us free no longer to be by a yoke of slavery. Now some decisions are they're trivial. I didn't spend a lot of time in prayer this morning or fasting deciding what pair of socks I should put on. I didn't need to seek the wisdom of the elders. You see, God does not want us to be crippled by fear or frozen in anxiety every time we make a choice. God gave us freedom to use our own brain to know what to do. If you go back to Genesis 2, I love this. God gave Adam freedom to name the animals. God brings the animals to him, and he says to Adam, I want you to name them. And I, I, I try and imagine this picture in my own mind. Uh, he brings um, an elephant, and he's thinking, I hope, I hope he chooses the elephant and not the giraffe. As he brings the animals to Adam, Adam is given the freedom and yet the responsibility to name those animals. Listen, my friends, God's will is not a tightrope. Sometimes we think it is. that If we just lean to one side and fall off, we're out of God's will. God's will is a lot broader than we sometimes think. John White. Anybody read any books by John White? Good. So two or three people have. Great writer from yesteryear. I think this quote is from one of his books called The Fight. It says, You may seek guidance, but God desires to give you something better. Himself. Different choices facing us today. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. The biggest and best decision you can make today is to surrender your life to Jesus. To decide in your heart to turn away from all you know to be wrong and follow him. That's the best decision you can make today. Better than deciding on where you live or what job you have or what car you drive. Choosing to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe as a Christian, you have gone on a bit of a detour. You, you've missed God's best during that period. And God wants to draw you back and to bring you back on track today. Will you allow him to do that? Maybe you're a Christian facing difficult choices. 
And God wants to reveal his will to you. Are we willing to find out what God wants and then do it? Go to the Lord. Understand the biblical principles. Investigate your options. Discuss with others and then express your freedom. Paul talks in Romans 8 about being led by the Spirit. We need to listen to the Spirit. And we need to be led by the Spirit into all that God has for us. Amen. Bev was busy taking notes there. Either that or she's doing a shopping list. Julian is going to draw our time to a close.